0: Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by aliens who look a lot like humans, because why would another planet produce anything different? Now, let's dim the lights and start the show. Welcome everybody to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Prognosis Negative. Bring your friends to see the movie everyone's talking about. The reviews are positive. The prognosis is negative. (laughs) Welcome everybody to The Pestle. I am Wes. And I'm Todd. And this is a film podcast where filmmakers and producers and actors kind of break apart films to learn how to be better filmmakers and uh, appreciate the artistic side of what goes into making a movie, uh, different ways you can interpret it. I, I really love one of the things we do a lot is look beyond just what's obvious about a movie, like if it's, whatever, about a, a space, you know, ship landing and aliens invading. Uh, sure, that works as a sci-fi, but usually, like, sci-fi can work really well to discuss topical elements and things that are happening in society, and it's a way to kind of put a layer, uh, a metaphor, you know, on something that's very real and very uh, universal that could be happening in the world. Today will be the actually the first time we're, we're not doing something that's a narrative, uh, and I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. This is, yeah, what are we going to cover today? Uh,
1: yeah, so today we are covering 13th, uh, the documentary by Ava DuVernay that's on Netflix. It's been, I think it was released in 2017, around there. Uh, so it's been on there for a while. So if you have not seen that, please pause the episode and go watch it. I mean, we're going to be talking about a lot of stuff, but we would rather. For sure, we would rather you come with your, your own—well, um, you know, go watch it with your own preconceived notions, but then be open to hearing lots of different sides, um, but forming formulating your own opinions before, you know, listening to— To what we have, we have to say because, uh, and then leave comments and stuff. I mean, this is, you know, obviously we want everybody to leave comments about any episode that we, that we cover, you know, um, anything ranging from the, how it was made to the why to the, the content of what was made. I mean, all of that is really important. I I feel like this is, uh, something that that is, people are going to have, uh, probably more opinions than even, you know watching a Michael Bay film. Uh, and I know everybody has those opinions. Um, but, uh, yeah. So go watch the the movie before, um, and the documentary before listening to us. Absolutely. What are we going to, what are we going to cover about it? Uh, there's
0: so much, there's so much to cover about this film. Not just, uh, the content is obviously very striking and, uh, just begs for conversation around it. But even whenever I first watched this, there was so much about the filmmaking side that, Ava really captured me with Selma, um, mm-hmm. and after that, I started. I went back and watched her first documentary uh, that she made about uh, hip hop, and I'm forgetting the name of it right now. But there was a uh, in, in L.A. There was this uh, club of uh, hip hop freestyling that was just going on down there, and it was it was interesting. Uh, but to see the, the the contrast between that and this, uh, what a huge gap in growth you know it's it's absolutely incredible and reminds me of medicine for melancholy and uh moonlight uh there was just this magical like holy crap it gave me hope, like to see what these people are doing in their craft is absolutely astonishing. And so, yeah, there's so much great stuff to take out of this. And so, I feel like we're, we're going to ha- kind of have two conversations uh, around it for sure. On the filmmaking side, like the cinematography uh, is absolutely fantastic, especially when you start to see uh, a lot of the metaphor that she's inserting into the camera work. Uh, it's, it's, it's beautiful and really astounding, uh, at least I think, as well as uh, the editing. Uh, there's some really smart, simple things that she's doing in the editing that uh, really help to land this thing uh, because it's only an hour and 40 minutes and it covers a ton. And so a lot of the editing really helps to, to you know, make sure everything's landing very
1: cleanly. Uh, but and let's be cl- let's be clear that hour and 40 minutes is a quick hour and 40 minutes because it's so chock full of everything that you never knew or that you did but it's reminding you of in a very visceral way so you're just like in it the entire time it goes by really fast some hour and 40 minute documentaries feel like two hour and 40 minute documentaries let's be honest uh but not this one um yeah for all those reasons you talked about
0: yeah not this one um and then beyond that we'll we'll dive into you know more personal stuff we're keenly aware that we're you know two white guys just you know touching on discussing uh race and uh, the the system police uh and so we'll we'll have you know a few stories from not us uh about casual encounters with uh, police and we'll also probably touch on some of the protests in austin uh and through it all i mean we know that this will be the most charged episode that we've ever done um but we'll do it in our vein like i think people expect uh smart casual uh, thoughtful conversation from us and i don't think we'll we'll stray too much from that but uh forgive anything if you if you disagree man like like todd said you know it's okay you can come into this with an open mind and we'll do the same and if you want to talk about it in the comments we're we're happy to to discuss any thoughts um as long as it's all respectful i think that's a, the most that we could hope for so we'll cover all that and other such stuff and things and stuff <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, a synopsis of the film, uh, an in-depth look at the prison system in the United States and how it reveals the nation's history of racial inequality, directed by Ava DuVernay, written by Spencer Averick and Ava DuVernay, featuring Michelle Alexander, Cory Booker, Angela Davis, Khalif Browder, and Newt Gingrich, to name a few.
0: On the night of his arrest, Kalief Browder was walking home from a party with his friends in the Bronx. And when he was stopped by police.
2: Khalif was um, charged with a crime, a really petty crime, uh, that it turns out he didn't commit. Then they said, we're going to take you to the precinct, and most likely we're going to let you go home, and then I I never went home. They told you that you could post bail? Yes, that's correct. $10,000? Yes. And of course? I I couldn't make that. hmm. My family couldn't pay it. There are thousands of people in jails right this moment that are sitting there for no other reason than because they're too poor to get out.
0: We have a criminal justice system that treats you better if you're rich and guilty than if you're poor and innocent. Wealth, not culpability, shapes outcomes.
2: And I think what most Americans think of, because they've watched so many courtroom dramas and things like that, they think that our criminal justice system is about judges and juries. Well, well, that's really stopped being the case. The system simply cannot exist if
0: Everyone decides to go to trial.
2: Everybody insisted on a trial. The whole system would shut down.
1: Yeah, I, I mean that's just one of many. <laughs> right.
0: That was maybe sixty seconds of just uh, earful uh, of information and. Uh, mm-hmm. Eye-opening. I mean, the whole idea that Khalif Browder sat in the jail for you know three years in a prison system uh, for for multiple years just because he refused to plead guilty for something he did not do uh, should be an outrage, no matter what side of the whole you know law and order fence you you want to sit on. Uh, injustice is injustice. I don't think we need to you know, beg people to, to agree with that. That's, uh, that should be, you know, something that we are all behind. That's a big thing that America is supposed to be about. And so should be, yeah. How, how many times have you seen 13th and I don't know what's been some of your reaction to it? Uh,
1: this is my third time to see it. I saw it when it first came out and then immediately rewatched it. Cause I couldn't really, uh, I mean, you know, we'll address this I guess, head on, you know, I'm a white middle class male. I, um, who, you know, grew up in the suburbs. Like I don't have any idea of any of this shit. Like uh, I, I am well aware that I'm ignorant to it. Does that make me a, you know, a bad person? No, I didn't, uh, you know, no, but that's just how I was brought up. I can't control that. But, um, at the same time, you know, growing up, whenever I'd see movies about this kind of stuff, like Amistad is a really great example, um, of like an old movie that like, like the first time I ever really was introduced to the idea of what it was like, not, not even dramatized, just like the raw visceral, like, you know, abuse power and, and of any, you know, human life. It like really shook me. And so seeing this, which is like basically the real version of a movie version of this was like just completely overwhelming. Um, so I had to immediately rewatch it. I think I watched it the very next day, if not that same night. And, um, just to kind of digest all this and, uh, um, and then I, I, you know, didn't watch it again until this episode. Um, and it is just as, um, as visceral as it was the first time I saw it. It's like every time from somebody from my vantage point, every time you see something like this, it's like, it's like the first time because you can't even process that this would even exist, that this would happen in 2020, 2015, 1995, whatever hell, even 1960. Can't even imagine what it was like. So, um, yeah, it was incredible. And, um, just, you know, That aside, the actual filmmaking is kind of mind boggling. It's like, you know, if I were to want to make a documentary, this is the kind of way that I would want to do it. I mean, it's engaging. It's like moving. It's topical. It's timely, timely for the time they're talking about. I mean, they play rap songs over, you know, like with, with modern day text, you know, kind of like flying onto the screen and stuff that brings you in. It helps you remember, Oh yeah, I remember that song from when I was in junior high or whatever. But you know, they're flashing the, the words on the screen. So you're like, Oh wait a minute, I never really understood what that song was really about. And now you're, you're playing this song, butted up against what people are talking about. And now I'm seeing this experience with that experience that really happened that experience that really happened married with this song and these lyrics. And it's, it's just so engaging. And the, the cinematography of all the interviews is amazing. And the way that they kind of like bring in the old, old footage or old photos and they kind of cut it up into this kind of paper mache style is like beautiful. It's like, just keeps you hanging on. And then also there are all these little breaths, right? So like, They'll, they'll smash you with all of this stuff that happened, all of these details, all of these, you know, like, you know, this person says it, this person, says it, then this person. And then you see Newt Gingrich and he'll like pause and there'll be a, some silence, purposeful silence. It's like obvious that they inserted this for like five seconds before he says something. And I've never been the biggest Newt Gingrich fan. Right. But at the same time, you know, like it's good to hear it was so good to hear from all sides and then to give breath to certain answers, not just to newt, but to other, other interviewees and stuff like they, she just inserts these, these moments of breath before an important statement is being made by someone that she really wants you to listen to. Right. In some cases it was newt. Some cases it was Corey. Some cases it was khalif or not Khalif, but, um, it was, um, uh, Michelle, I guess. I'm not sure. But, um, it just like the timing was so thought out and perfect. And I don't think that a lot of people think about that when it comes to documentaries, they just think like, I'm going to fill you in with this information um, and then you're going to take it and you're going to do with it what you will. But it was amazing.
0: Yeah. And you know what, what's funny is Ava DuVernay was the first filmmaker I reached out to because I wanted to cover this with her, like on the show. Mm, Uh, And at the time she was in, uh, posed for a wrinkle in time and I'm assuming also prepping for uh, when they see us. And so uh, her assistant was just like, she just does not have time. Um, Wait so, a minute, you got a response? Yeah, I mean, not from Ava, but from her no, assistant. Yeah, yeah, Hey, dude, that's, that's you know, <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, one at the degree, time, you're
0: still degree. shot down. You're like, oh,
1: damn it. Whatever, you're shot down by her assistant. That's yeah, pretty awesome. I'll take it. It's <laughs> better
0: than no answer. But because this was such a... a so like everything you just said I mean it's so incredibly well thought out there are you know kind of two ways to make a documentary I think one of them being more of a Laura Portress style where you're flying the wall and you're gathering tons and tons of footage and you figure out the story a little bit later um, and there's also this style where it's everything's planned uh, it's it, to some degree scripted not that you know she's Telling everyone in these interviews, there's no way she walked into Newt Gingrich, uh, his office, and was like, "Yeah, I want you to say this and that." Like, no, no, no. Um, But for the most part, through pre-interviews, you can start to have an idea of where someone stands, and you know, ask the right questions so that you can make efficient use of everyone's time because no one wants to sit for a 10 hour interview. And so if you know, hey, this person is an expert on meals in the criminal justice system, then I'm going to have them for an hour. We're going to discuss, you know, what the food is like in in, in prison, um, for example. Uh, and so just kind of having some level of outline, you can go into uh, production with the storyboard that says we're going to spend 10 to 12 minutes on you know, the, the civil rights movement, and then we're going to spend, you know, five to seven minutes on Khalif Browder and blah, blah, blah. You can already map out what your documentary is going to be. And that way you can uh, start gathering footage. If you have assistance, which I'm sure she did, they can already start gathering footage and understanding how it's going to fit into the context of the film. And that just gives you so much more opportunity to make a much more thoughtful and impactful movie so that you're not wasting anyone's time, uh, on a n- number of levels, not just, uh, you you know, for the audience, but for uh, your production as well, because this still costs money. You still need to make uh, the most of every single dollar you get, especially for documentaries that make no money. <laughs> like it's so much more important uh, to, to have a game plan. And uh, this is, for my dollar and I've watched a lot of documentaries. This is the best documentary I've ever seen. Um, and again, I've seen dozens and dozens and dozens. I sit and watch frontline and frontline make some incredible, uh, documentary pieces for sure. Uh, but this is for my dollar, you know, the cream of the crop. Um, and
1: let's be, let's be clear like as of why it's not, it's not even, yes, the content is important, but it's not even the content. It's the way, it's the, the filmmaking style and the, the expertise at which the story is told that really hits you on a visceral level whether you agree with it or not let's just be honest because no. not everybody does obviously um yeah it's the filmmaking yeah uh,
0: absolutely and What one of the things that struck me really quickly about this film as I was watching it uh, the very first time was the way she was framing up the interview subjects. I think she's doing something incredibly intentional here that just really spoke to my soul as a filmmaker and obviously as a human being uh, kind of broke my heart. And so with that, let's talk a little bit about cinematography, because if you look at how she's framing people, it's different than you've seen in other documentaries. Uh, for instance, if we look at Angela Davis, who's a professor, she's framed in, this, in her wide shot. And she does two compositions with everybody. There's the frontal wide shot, and then there's the close-ups uh, that are more profile. And in the wide frontal shots, she's establishing something very interesting and specific in these frames. And it's funny, Todd, uh, I didn't write any notes for this episode. Uh, I forgot to. I, was, I just got enraptured with the, with the movie movie. Um, so everything I'm saying is just based on previous research and thoughts that I've been holding on to for the last uh, three years. <laughs> wow. And, and so, uh, but looking at, for instance, Angela Davis, the way that, that she frames everybody in this, almost everybody in the, in the frontal wide shots is – almost like she's making a a visual commentary or a visual metaphor of the system in America, the system of race and how it impacts your place within the system. So if you look at how she frames, again, Angela Davis, she's centered in the middle at the bottom. And so if you were to Mm -hmm. slice this up into not even thirds, uh, but let's say there's a top half and a bottom half, and then there's thirds, you know, left, right, uh, left center and right, then Angela Davis would be occupying the bottom center of, of that. And so it's, and a lot of the black people are framed this way so that they're kind of Demoted in the frame in the system, and it's further you know enforced through the locations that she shoots. All the locations have an architectural feel to them, which is reflecting the architecture of America, of uh, the, the racial inequality and architecture that we've built into our system. So, all the there's this very subtle visual style that's calling to a metaphor of. In America, there is a system. There is an architecture to the way that our country is run. And within that system, black people occupy occupy a very low space. And it's right there in the visuals. And so if you remember like the Hitchcock rule, the bigger something is in the frame, the more important it is. And so using that rule, that same idea, uh, these people are being framed so that their impact on the frame is much smaller because that is their their stature in the system as it is. And you'll see this occurring throughout. Like, it's not every single person, and that may have more to do with time and location, but certainly for all the main players, uh, like Angela Davis, like even my favorite one, and this is really beautiful, is uh, Michelle Alexander. Because if you look at hers, and it, I'm pulling it up just so I can... Look at it right Mm -hmm. now. Hers is still occupying like the bottom half of the frame, and she's in the middle. She's she's demotivated or demoted in, in a visual sense, but she's also set up in this, like it's obviously some kind of college or something. But if you look at the frame, the there's a window in the back, and there's these two huge pillars that are going. She's in this red chair. And while on the one hand, she is smaller in the frame. She's also framed uh, above the horizon line, so her head is above the horizon line, and and usually that means you you're on top of the world, like the world isn't crushing you. Instead, you're above it all, and so there's a lot of interesting things happening here because those pillars and her seating and the the, the general visual of it uh, gives you also this feeling that she's a she's a queen, she's royalty, like she runs this piece because. Michelle Alexander, if you don't know, wrote this book uh, called The New Jim Crow, which is an incredible book, and it contains just gobs and gobs of research. Uh, I, I want to say she spent over 10 years researching all the stuff that she puts in that book. And so it's all coming from a very well grounded background uh, and well researched background. And so uh, she is of everyone in this film, she is the most knowledgeable about what's being discussed. She is the center of uh, information. I would be shocked if uh, Michelle Alexander wasn't, you know, right next to Ava throughout the filmmaking and and production just to help advise and uh, give her insights into what is happening and who are the best people to talk to. And Michelle Alexander would be uh, the queen bee uh, in that hierarchy for sure. And so it makes sense if you're going to frame her up and give her a background to make her feel like royalty, because on the one hand, yes, her, her place, uh, you know, from a racial standpoint is still lower than uh, some of the white people that they framed. And we'll get to that in a second. Uh, but she still also has a big place in this discussion. Uh, and so it's just one of the most beautiful frames um, I've ever seen with all the nuance that, that goes into that. And so, yeah, that you're going to see that time and time again through a lot of the, the. and I'll put some stills on the website so that you can go uh, look at the show notes at thepestlepodcast.com slash 13th13TH. You can go to the site and you can look at some of these frames and see what I'm talking about. But if you jump into, like you were just talking about, Newt, Newt Gingrich, if you look at his frame, there's something else that's interesting and that's happening. Uh, he's big. He's huge in the frame. Mm-hmm he occupies most of the frame of his frontal white shot and not only that and this is something that i found really interesting is that he's up against this white wall now they lit it so that there's a there's a really nice texture that's happening to the wall and there's a he's sitting right next to a window so you have all this natural uh, beautiful window light but the background is opaque there's you can't there's no transparency like if you look go back and look at michelle alexander's frame you can see straight through the window you can see stuff out, outside whereas Newt Gingrich there is no transparency there and I think that's speaking to his role as a Republican as a conservative um, and as so- someone who was taking part in these things that are discussed in the films in the 90s um, and he's such a weasel man I personally can't mm-hmm. stand him uh, because he's a great politician I and for that I hate him uh, because he's going to sit on camera and say all the right things because he knows his audience he knows who's going to be watching this and at the same time he's going to distance himself from any responsibility and any culpability uh, about what's going on you know he was a lawmaker he had a lot to, a lot of influence yeah, he was there yeah he was a house speaker in the 90s so let's not you know minimize his damage and his role in everything and so whenever i see people like that start to try to do their best to say all the right things and and you know, deny their role in the system. It's, it's frustrating. And I mean, I guess to some, you know, evil degree, kudos to him for, for being a a snake in, in, in the oil. Like it's, it's pretty gross. And you can see this through, you know, with, with a lot of the other white people, I would say the exceptions concerning white people are anyone who's been through the system, who's been through prison, uh, they get framed a little bit differently. They're still occupying a little bit more, uh, higher in the frame. Uh, they're still, but they are still smaller. And they're on, usually occupying like the edge. And so, if you watch this film with those thoughts about who is this person, what do they mean in the context of what's being discussed, you'll you'll get a lot of insights. But the other interesting thing, and this goes into this might confuse you because if you watch this and you're like, well, Cory Booker and uh, Charles Rangel, uh, Charlie, Charlie Rangel uh, wasn't Charlie. framed that way. And that's even more interesting because if you consider about, again, the architecture of America, they're politicians. Booker is, is a senator. Mm-hmm. He has powers. So, of course, he's going to be bigger in the frame. He's going to have more influence on what's taking place and what's happening. Uh, and before that, I want to say he was a uh, mayor of New York, uh, not New York, Newark. And similar with uh, uh, Rangel, he was a mayor during, you know, the all the worst parts of, you know, the three-strike system and all the all the stuff that was happening in And so what's really interesting about the wrangle framing and composition is if you look at his frame, it's almost pitch black behind him. Like you can Mm -hmm. you see him, you see a little bit of his chair and then nothing but pitch black. And so there's a comment being made about, you know, who he is. He's going to be doing the same thing Newt Gingrich is right. Kind of shedding any culpability. But whenever you see the frame, you start to feel like this isn't a good guy. Like, fine, he's black and he's supposed to be on the side of understanding what's right and wrong in this situation. Uh, But clearly he's not. And so he's framed a little bit like a bad guy. And I would be curious. uh, I I don't expect, I guess, to comment on something like this because it's probably already difficult getting these people. But if they knew they were kind of being visually set up to be the bad guy on screen in a sense, then, you know, that would probably be less good. But what I also really like about these scenes still talking about cinematography the profile shots kind of level the playing field and i don't know how much of that was just for the sake of coverage you don't want it to be too wide because then it starts to feel jumpy if you're cutting from a wide shot to another wide shot But I assume that has more to do with just coverage, because if you have multiple angles of someone, then you can more tightly edit and make better use of their dialogue Uh, so that if, you know, they're uh they're stuttering or maybe uh, they go off on a tangent that has nothing to do with the point and they come back to the point, then you can kind of cut out the stuff that doesn't doesn't need to be there it's not helping tell the story it's not there for anything other than there maybe they just had a uh, a brain fart so to speak
1: and so um the second camera or third or however many they had on them i noticed was moving a lot uh not always but in some cases it was moving and i wonder if you think that was a i mean obviously it was a conscious decision but like why with some interviewees it was moving but with like cory booker I don't think it was. It was just kind of like more of a profile shot. Um, but I think with like the older uh, gentleman, I forget his name, at the very beginning, who's framed tiny in the in the corner, the bottom right corner, they they had like a moving um, B cam on him.
0: That's a good question. I don't. Really have uh, an honest take on it. I mean, that would be mm. interesting to analyze from a standpoint of uh, are the lawmakers, you know, static as opposed to someone like Michelle Alexander who's uh, has more mm. movement. And then maybe you're speaking to uh, where progress can actually come from, you know, through movement. Or maybe it was just visual interest and opportunity. Maybe certain uh, mm-hmm. locations, mm-hmm. you know, were easier to to do these setups and and make more visually interesting than others. Um, okay. Yeah. yeah. And so that would be an interesting way to 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 go through the film for sure but the the, one of the cool things that about these profile shots is they often there there is only i'm pretty sure there's only a two camera setup with almost everybody Uh, maybe a few of these had a three but for the most part two and they would make it look like there were three just for, by virtue of flipping the image. So if you're on a profile, mm-hmm. uh, they they might intercut that with the same camera, but they literally invert the image to make it feel like you just jumped to the other side of them. Like if you're looking through Newt Gingrich's uh, pictures, if you don't know better, you might think he was sitting in between two big windows.
1: (laughs) I just thought that, yes. yes. But he's not.
0: He's not. They're just literally flipping the image, which is doing a a lot of things. Um, To some degree, you might be making a a joke or a a commentary about the nature Mm -hmm. of politicians flipping back and forth on the issues. Or to some degree, depending on the edit, it might look like you can have them arguing against themselves. Like if they say one thing, right, and then you the the image and you were to kind of layer that it's like they're looking at, at themselves. And so oh, that could be in there. I'm not saying it is, uh, but it, that certainly could be. But if, if if nothing else, it makes it feel like uh, the room is bigger or that you have more more opportunity for editing and keeping more visual interest. And so if, for instance, you you don't want to come back to the wide, inverting the image might let you uh, tighten up the dialogue a little bit without ever actually having to sacrifice uh, uh, anything visually interesting. And, and so cool. Yeah, it's
1: like genius stuff. <laughs> but, but keep in mind, like that doesn't always work right Depend- right. it's gotta be motivated it's, it's gotta so be motivated
0: and you gotta yeah. make sure like if he had been wearing a t-shirt with dialogue on it uh, then suddenly the yeah. words are backwards you're gonna know Which what's
1: happening I, I just can't picture <laughs> new Gingrich in a t-shirt right. at all much less with any kind of words on it <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> he only wears suits right doesn't he sleep in them I'm pretty sure yeah. yeah yeah silk
0: suits yeah. that he sleeps in
1: <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. um, and so there's just
0: so much brilliant stuff that's going on from a film standpoint and and we can jump into the uh, the, the dialogue or the uh, the editing, uh, yeah. but I think you you said it pretty well. Like the pacing uh, is so spot on. There's a lot of slow pacing between the interview subjects, um, there's space between their statements to help let the dialogue set in. Um, even in the beginning, right, we heard the scene from the the reporter or the, the news anchor talking about Khalif Browder uh, and then a bit of a space and then someone else kind of comments and then a little space and then they start diving in. Like they're giving you a moment to digest what we're about to discuss and then we're going to go for it. Um, And so it's really great. They do some really great transitional moments, right, where the audio kind of creeps in and builds into these uh, key moments uh, and gives gives the story some momentum. Yeah. And I feel like there's could be and this is, again, me kind of throwing stuff out, you know, on the wall. But whenever they're looking at some of the uh, older clips, there's some really amazing stuff that they're doing with like the the old footage is in this very tight uh, square and you're watching like JFK or LBJ kind of discuss race in, in America. And, uh, and I can't help, but wonder if, if when they cut from that to something like the riots, which are in full widescreen, maybe they're, they're kind of giving you this, uh, visceral impression of the way race in America is presented versus the reality. Like it's presented in a very narrow context, but in reality, it's so much more worse than what you're seeing on TV. Mm -hmm. Um, and Mm -hmm. so maybe there's some subtle consequences commentary uh, being inserted through just the way they're presenting uh, historical archival footage. Um, And so those are just a lot of things to think about as you're as you're watching this. But I know we're running short on time, so maybe we can jump real quick into some stories uh, unless there's anything else you want to cover? No, no, I would love to. Cool. So I reached out to some friends and I'll talk about this here in a second. But uh, I just wanted to hear some stories about people and my friends and their encounters with police. And so this one is from my buddy Shamari. It's about seven minutes long. And yeah, dive in. Uh, Hopefully you can hear this pretty good, Todd.
2: Hey, what's up Wes? So I got two short stories to share with you about encounters with police. One is like a one or two on a scale of one to five and one is probably like a four on a scale of one to five. If I had to put all of my encounters on a scale. All right, so the first one, in high school, sophomore, so I was probably like 15, maybe 16, I don't remember. And um, there was an incident that happened at school. It was an emergency. So they said, okay, we're going to send everybody home. And so mind you, this is in the morning, this is before lunchtime. So now we have a lot of free time on our hands that we normally wouldn't have. Uh, And me and a few friends said, okay, we're going to go to our rival high school and hang out with them. because." It was almost lunchtime and they'd be getting out for lunch. And when I say rival, I don't mean like bad blood like on TV. Like it's just another high school in the neighborhood. We all got along, we were all fine. So we're heading over there. Um uh, a man who owns the car is driving, His Mexican. It's myself. Um another one of my friends who's black, uh, and another one of my our boys who was white. So it was four of us in the car, and we're headed down there to the other side of town and we hit a dreaded whoop, whoop,
0: Okay, and I'll let him continue here in a second, but I just want to make sure everyone's following. So what's happened at this point is Shamari's is like 15 or so, and school got let out because of some uh, emergency at the school. And so all his buddies are like, oh, we have a free day. I mean, it was it was like 10 a.m. So they're like, let's go hang out. Uh, maybe let's go to the store. Um, and so at this point, you know, they're on their way to the store. There's four of them in the car, um, and he's just saying that they're being pulled over by police.
2: All of us simultaneously. Ah, shit. So, pull over. We had an idea of why they pulled us over, which was that we weren't in school, but it was around lunchtime and our campus was open, so we could have been going to lunch. So, we still were like, mm, why are they pulling us over? But anyway, pull us over, walk up to the car. First question, how come you're not in school? And they were like, we were like, well, there was an incident emergency at the school and they sent us all home. Now, mind you, this emergency required police presence. There was probably about Ten to fifteen police, officers. like it was a big ordeal. Like it was, it was a situation. So even if they weren't there, we're sure. I'm sure they would have heard of it over the radios or like, you know, this wasn't um, this wasn't a quiet thing. But anyway, they go they they um go back to the car and they're probably back there for about twenty thirty minutes while we're sitting in the car. Twenty thirty minutes pass. They come to the car and they say, "Hey, your story checks out. <laughs> story, uh, your story checks out." There was there was an incident uh, at the high school. We all breathe a, breathe a sigh of relief, We're like all right, great, we about to be on our way. He had a follow up question, another question you never want to hear when pulled over. Whose car is this? Again, a sigh of relief was was gone just that quickly. Uh, my man, uh, my man who was driving was like, oh, this is this is my car, and he said. I said, okay, I need to see a license and registration. Takes the license and registration, looks at it, looks at him, looks at it, looks at him again, and says, well, why is your name not on the registration? He's like, oh, that's my mom's name. You know, she bought the car, you know, because I'm in high school. Now, mind you, him and his mom have the same last name. I know that's not always the case, but him and his mom have the same last name. And to add to it, not to stray too far from the story, they have a Spanish last name that I have never heard. It is very uncommon. I've never heard that last name. We grew up in a neighborhood that's like 80% Latino. And he's the only one that I know with that last name. Him and his sisters.
0: Yeah, and I want to just iterate on that because... I know the guy he's talking about. I was lucky enough to be uh, one of Shamari's groomsmen in his wedding uh, a few months ago. And I met this guy, uh, childhood friend, buddy. Obviously, they're still friends. And I have, yeah, I've never heard this last name before either in my entire life. It would be like, uh, how many sapios have you ever met in your life, Tad? Uh, Just none. Like... I've met more Heidenreichs than I've met, you know, Sapios. And it's and it's to that point where it would be like a Sapio, like, oh yeah, I guess that's a name, but I've never heard that name before. And so if, if someone were to pull me over and say, uh, whose car is this? And I'm like, well, it's mine. It's in my mom's name. And they pulled out my license and said, Yeah, your, your last name is Heidenreich. The car is registered to a Heidenreich. That tracks <laughs> like that makes sense. Yeah. And, yeah. And obviously they didn't have that reaction, which is, you know, beyond absurd. So anyway, here we go.
2: But anyway, so they take the license and registration after um, asking him why the names don't match and they go back to the car. Now it's another 15, 20 minutes. They come back to the car and they said, we're going to need you all to step out of the car. I'm like, great. Oh, okay. Here we go. We get out of the car. They handcuff my um, man who was driving. Um, and they also handcuffed the white guy. And then they made myself and my other friend put our hands on the hood. This was Texas and it doesn't matter when it was Texas the hood was hot as hell. So, you know, it took us about 15 minutes of pleading with them. Can we just take our hands off the hood? We're not going anywhere. Like, we're not going anywhere. So we're sitting out there. We're in the grocery store parking lot where they, where they pulled us over to add insult to injury. The high school that we came to hang out with. Um, was let out for lunch, and so everybody can see us sitting there being detained by the police. I think all in all, from pulling over to finally letting us go, probably like 90 minutes. There was no explanation for even why we were pulled over, why we were detained, why the driver was handcuffed. The white guy actually they, they took him. He was he had a warrant, so they so they took him. But that's neither here nor there. But there was really no explanation as to why we were pulled over uh in the first place. And that might not sound like a big deal, but I can give you ten more stories like that where after the whole thing, we're still wondering, Well wonder well, don't wonder why that pullover happened. But anyway, so that's the first one. The second one, um I went to U T I would often take that, that eight hour drive back to, back to EP and, you know, having done that drive many times over the course of four years, you know, I knew, I knew what towns not to stop and get gas in. Shoot. I knew what towns not to even be caught speeding in because, you know, if anybody knows Texas, you you know, you just know. So, uh, one day coming back, um, I can't remember what year it is. I want to say it was my freshman, my freshman year. I was coming back and I stopped, I had miscalculated my, my mileage and my my gas and I had to stop in a place that I know that was normally on my do not stop list. I wasn't too worried about it, but I was like, Cause I'd rather have gas than be stranded. So pull over, step out of the car, as soon as I step of the car, turn to my left and there's a gun pointed at me um, by a police officer. He's yelling, didn't you hear me? Didn't you hear my sirens? Now, to keep it one to keep it hundred, I at the time had two inch Rockford five gate subwoofers and I am sure that they were at full capacity going down um going down I ten. I am sure of that. So it's very possible that he had his sirens on and I didn't hear. But I wasn't speeding, so it wasn't like I was trying to get away, and I pulled calmly into a gas station, which means I was probably gonna get gas. I think what's funny about that when I think about that situation is I don't even remember what happened. I don't remember if I got a ticket. I don't remember the conversation that we had. I feel like I remember having to go and mail something out to that county that I got stopped in, but I can't. I cannot tell you the outcome of it. All I can tell you is that I thought that was it for me and uh, I was scared shitless. That's the only, that's the only two things that, that stick out in that time. So yeah, those are two, two small uh interactions I've had with police uh in my time.
0: Yeah, and believe me if Shamari is saying he's got ten more, uh he's probably underestimating. I've known mm-hmm. him for, you know, twenty years now. And so uh I hadn't these are two new stories. I hadn't even heard these stories before. And so for him and I've heard him other stories. He he's not, you know, exaggerating whatsoever. Yeah. But I'll jump into the other ones uh two more stories from my buddy gerald and then we'll 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 get to some interesting conversation um and so the first one uh gerald is talking to the group i'm on this group thread it's the only group thread that i'm really on uh with uh, six of my buddies i'm the only white person on this thread uh, but we all kind of knew each other through college i did not go to college they all did so i'm the uneducated one of this uh, group of people and uh so I asked them, you know, like, hey, what's the y'all have any stories y'all want to share for the podcast? Uh and Gerald was like, hey, do y'all remember when we were hooping at Madison and the cops tried to make us leave uh, Madison is an apartment complex uh, because there were there were complaints about us being loud and they knew, quote unquote, they knew we didn't live there <laughs> but they did live there. Uh, meanwhile, it was Friday night and frat parties were allowed up and down West Campus. Uh, it just didn't make sense for black dudes to be hooping at a private apartment complex um, and Gerald says, I still remember that cop yelling saying, do you know the law better than I do? Like, what does that have to do with people whooping at their own apartment complex? Um, and that was a throwaway. He wasn't really even trying to share that story. Uh, but his his next one uh, will probably, you know, make a uh, an impact. Um, his And I'm just going to read exactly what he wrote. Uh, I definitely, and I'll try to keep my shit. Um, my other, this is Gerald. My other run-in was as an adult several years ago. My wife, Amelia, and I were moving out of an uh, our apartment to the new house we bought. Mind you, the old apartment was in off 360 Westlake area, uh, White Heaven. Like this is a <laughs> this is a very rich part of town. This is maybe the wealthiest part of Austin, Texas, uh, which is already you know a pretty white city. Anyway, that was me talking. Gerald says. Uh, Amelia was at our house, his wife was at our house, and I told her I would go back to the apartment and grab the last couple of small boxes, clean up, and turn in the keys. Uh, No moving truck was required for this. I was at the apartment taking things to the car and cleaning for an hour or so. At around 6 p.m. dusk, I hear a loud banging at my door. It was loud and aggressive like I thought someone was gonna jack me. I went to the door and looked through the peephole and saw nothing. So I shrugged it off, but decided to lock the door because it was unlocked the entire time I was cleaning. As soon as I locked the door to go back to cleaning, I hear the loud banging on my door again. I look through my peephole and see nothing again, but decide to ask who is it, thinking maybe someone is playing a joke on me. Then the person says, it's police open the door now. At this point, my heart is racing and confused. As I open the door, I see four cops, two on each side of my door, with guns drawn. They were purposely hiding from the people. They rushed my apartment and put me against the wall like it was a drug bust. My heart is racing, and I'm confused as to what's going on. As I'm on the wall, they ask me what I'm doing. In my best best white-sounding voice, I told them I'm moving out and cleaning up the apartment before I turn in the keys. They asked if I was Gerald which meaning they had already run the tags on my car outside I said yes they asked me for my driver's license I told them it was in my wallet in the kitchen they allowed me to get my wallet one one guy took my ID and went to his police car to run my ID while the other three stayed with me guns still out a few minutes later the cop comes back and says he's good and the cops give me back my ID and they left no apology and their justification was that they responded to a call that a large black man was burglarizing an apartment. Quote, unquote, we're just doing our job. I was fuming angry, but I knew I couldn't express that or it could have cost me my life. It was a violating scary and... and emasculating experience. Here I am, a college-educated, working in tech, Apple at the time, family man, being perceived as a criminal because of the color of my skin. Those types of experiences never leave you And shape how I view officers and heighten the awareness of how others perceive you. I shouldn't have to show my resume to people to prove I'm not a threat or I belong. (coughs) Sorry, G. Unbelievable. Yeah.
1: It's okay. I want to let you get through that.
0: Here's the thing, and stick with me because it's going to sound weird until I get to my point. I know hundreds of black people, and I'm not saying that in a sense of my best friends are black. That's not what I'm... That's not where this is going. But I think they are (laughs) still. (laughs) Uh, That's that's true. But I know hundreds of black people. I grew up in a very mixed town. Like it's a small town, less than 2000 people, but a lot of black people, a lot of Mexican people. And yeah, a lot of white people. Um, And then so I grew up there. And then uh, whenever I moved to Austin, I became which was weird. Austin is so incredibly white that I hated it for about a decade. Um, But the church I went to at the time uh, was also pretty diverse. Like we had a lot of college students, uh, black, white, uh, Mexicans, still not a lot of Asians, but, you know, we do what we can. And so I say that because I have hundreds of black friends that I could reach out to and ask for stories. And you might think that, hey, you're just cherry picking some of the worst ones. I literally did not do that. I literally just asked a text thread of the people I talk to every single day of my life of six other people who are all black and again they're all, they're all college educated. I'm the only one who's not and all of them have a story about a run in with the police and half of them have had the cops draw their gun on them I've never in my life had a gun drawn on me. I, I've, I had another buddy that I reached out to. We couldn't uh, uh, schedule it. Uh, but he has a story in Houston where he, like Gerald, was just kind of going to his car to grab his, uh, his headphones his, so that he could work out with his headphones on. And he got reported for stealing out of his own car. Four cops show up, and it ended up costing them their badges, thankfully. Like, but... I've never in my life heard of anybody having a gun drawn them by police, uh, that wasn't black apparently. Um, and I've never heard of anyone being reported from stealing from themselves. Like I've never had all my police interactions. I always knew before I talked to them why they pulled me over. There was never any guesswork for me. I've never had. And, and again, I grew up in, you know, maybe not the the nicest neighborhood in the world. And so I feel like if you were to start clumping people together, I would have had some of these experiences too. Like I'm not rich. I grew up with a wooden spoon in my mouth. Like I've had to work really hard for everything I earn. Uh, And yet I've never encountered anything like this. I've never, and I literally reached out to one small group of people uh, and I could have had more stories. Like they were the only two who wanted to, to share anything. Everyone had a story. And again, half of them, and I we didn't even talk about the other story, which I'm not going to get into because, uh, you know, he didn't get back in time, but they've had guns drawn on them. Mm-hmm. That's an, that's outrageous. Yes. Yeah, Why? You should have been shitting yourself because I've never had yeah. a gun pointed at me.
1: Like, and let's be let's be clear here, because I think that the, with all the stuff that's going on in around the country in Austin. Yes. But you know, and everywhere, LA, Atlanta, Florida, Minneapolis, New York, you know, a couple of things. One, this is not something that because one, one, you know, some cops killed one black guy. Now everybody's uprising. This is from a white point of view, a white, like, like entitled, in my own way, born racist point of view, um, still is something that has been ingrained into our society. Into And if you watch 13th, it explains it very well. This is not something that's just a one-off. This is not something that's just been, that's just been, oh, kind of bubbling up a little bit every now and then when a, when a cop kills a black guy or when, when a cop kills anybody. Let's also be clear that this is not just Yes, it's about, it's about police brutality against black and colored, uh, uh, black and brown people, but it is also about power and what putting, giving a badge to someone, a badge and a gun does to that person. It changes them. And if we don't acknowledge the fact that that happens, then we can't ever take any kind of action against the bad ones because there are good ones. These, these things, and I've been to, to several of these protests. Yes, they're mad. And, and these, these people are screaming, screaming F the F the police, F the police. And I don't scream that I don't say anything really there as in solidarity. But the point is, is that it is not just about that. And it is something that has been hundreds of years in the making, If you look at any of the stuff, like the beginning and the end of 13th should rock you to your fucking core as a human being. I don't care if you're white, black, Latino, Asian, it doesn't matter. If you're a human being, you should see – you should be weeping openly when you watch that. And it it, it has – only progressed it is not everyone thinks no racism is is less than it was just because black people can vote and just because they you know you know one guy might get a job over me even because of the color of his skin that is not that does not mean equity right it does not mean equality which there are there is a difference and i just noticed recently that I, i i haven't even noticed the difference between equality and equity you know, equality could mean we both have two apples. But if if I had if I had just taken a bite of your apple and given it, given it to you, you still have two apples, but I have two apples and a bite. And that's the difference between equality and equity. And until we see the, the bite of the apple as white people, and I'm I'm just gonna single out white people in general, until we see that there is a bite taken out of their, of their apple, that we have a lead in this race, that from the moment I was born, I was better off because of this system that has been implemented from the time that slavery was abolished up until now and progressed due to politicians, due to, to uh, capitalism in general, due to uh, 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 the industrial prison complex until we can see that and address it and actually do something about it this is never going to change and so i don't i don't have a problem um with protesting yes i don't like violence of any kind right at all but when i see i hear stories like that right or i see things happen on the streets in austin that are fucking brutal man brutal to innocent people standing there with signs, doing nothing, just standing there. And I'm not even talking about an I-35, which was bad enough. And I posted a video about that. I'm talking about like in just normal streets by the cops. It is unbelievable. And then after a week of all of this, you see, cop, you see good cops like o- Acevedo in Houston, who used to be our, our chief of police here, stand up and talk talk to people and say, I know you're angry. I know, but I want to tell you that I'm going to walk with you. And they stand up and they talk instead of shooting tear gas, instead of having fucking riot gear, instead of like, you know, the, the, the city giving them millions of dollars for all of this, this shit they don't need to police laws that should not be enforceable. And
0: just to, to jump in here, because, yeah, I completely agree. We do need people like Art Acevedo and police chiefs. And there's videos that make make the round and photos that are making the rounds of, you know, some cops kneeling and standing in solidarity, joining the protest, uh, you know, calling on God and religion. We definitely need those things in the sense of. Other cops need to see this sympathizing uh, from the police force itself. They need to feel comfortable in saying, Yeah, it's okay. We're not betraying whatever our, our brotherhood or whatever bullshit uh, you right. know, makes you feel justified in, in the, the crimes that are committed. But on the what I also want to see in addition to that, that's a great place to start. But to me, it's going to ring absolutely hollow if they're not also in favor of reform. To me, it'll it'll just come across as appeasing. Like you're just trying to mellow the crowd out so that you can get through the day. You're not actually trying to change anything. And I just don't care anymore about police, you know, having sensitivity training or spending just more time in the community. That's great. You've had 50 years to do that shit. You know what? Now it's time to have actual legal legal reforms and I can go through a whole lot of reforms. Which, Uh, by
1: the way, is not going to happen especially here in uh, in Austin, they had that emergency city council meeting the other day. They listened to, the, sat there and listened to the whole thing with Jenny. They listened to 300 people, 300 people complain about the abuse of the APD against them. And then they vote for $450,000 to be, given to the APD for some kind of car theft bullshit. And the point is, in the whole defund the police thing, you know, you have people that are, that are against that because like, Oh, you know, you need to police. They have, they are a militia. They are a fucking army. Excuse my French. I know I've said it 10 times the word, but they are an army and they are armed with money and guns and riot gear against their own citizens and immunity, it is ridiculous. So we in community. So when you no, talk, no. talk about and immunity and immunity, thank you. So when you talk, yes, exactly. So when you talk about defund the police, we're not saying, you know, they have to work for free. We are saying stop giving them multiple uh, millions of dollars for, for only the only reason they have so much money is not to pay them more money. Right. You ask a normal cop what they get paid and it's less than what I get paid. And yet they put their lives in the line. Right. They 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 you know, if they pull over anybody, it could be their last time they pull people over. I am not diminishing the 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 um, the danger, the danger yeah, of, a, of a police officer. But at the same time, you choose that. That's what you choose. Just like a, a soldier chooses to go to war. And I'm not, I am such a supporter of that, of, of our soldiers, that is, has nothing to do with anything. The point is, is that they know what they're going into. And so do police officers. So when you say defund the police, it's like, stop giving them weapons of mass destruction and start arming them with knowledge and, and kindness. What's crazy is that soldiers, since you bring them up, like they seem to have
0: much better safety and uh, protocols in place In a war zone, like their use of uh, violence and their use of arms uh, seems to be much more evenly paced, even despite working out of a out of a war zone. Very Uh, good point. And yet we can't, you know, convince all these cops that, hey, maybe you shouldn't, you know. Go to your gun quite as quickly. Like uh, the imminent, the danger should already be imminent, I think, before you you reach for your weapon, um, because yep. escalation only creates more escalation. You need to be practiced in de-escalating, um, and that should be your your intention going into every situation. And what strikes me about yeah, for one, you know, just to go back to what you're talking about with the Austin PD, it's so weird that you're at a protest against police brutality and you're. Your response to that is to create brutality from the police. The the police start in, inciting violence. Um, there's a great article. I'll I'll link it. I haven't read it, also forgive me. But there's an article from 538, who you know is famous for statistics and uh, data analysis, and they're talking about the difference that de-escalation keeps protesters and police safer. Um, and here's why police departments end up using force anyway. So uh, something like half the time that Protests turn violent, turn turn into riots. It's because police are using tactics that incite it. And that's mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. that's absolutely mind boggling uh, when you especially when you place on top of that, that all oh, these people are here to protest us being violent. Well, let's show them. Let's be violent. Like if there was ever one moment for you to be like, yeah, let's let's take a chill pill. It would be to prove them wrong. Uh, and instead, you just mm-hmm. immediately prove them right in order to you know keep your ego fed. Uh, and that, I think that's all that is. That's a that's a total ego thing. And I'll link some other articles. I mean, there was there's this awful, awful uh Story about, you know, APD hitting a guy in the head, a, a young man, I oh think he's God. 15 or 16, 16. and yes. he's messed up forever. Super messed up. And uh, the the medic, there was a medic who happened to be there in the crowd uh, who was trying to help him. And they're like, hey, this guy needs medical attention. Bring y'all come over here and help us. And the officers would not lift a finger. They said, you're going to have to bring him over to us. And so they did. Uh, they they start bringing him over. The medic gets shot while trying to help this guy, while trying to follow the orders that the officers had given him. He gets shot. It uh, looks like it breaks some fingers in his hand. Um, oh, my God. And I'll, I'll link to that as well so that you know you don't just think I'm fabricating, you know, awful stories. There's more. I mean, there's, it's, unfortunately, there's more. And it's absolutely, you know, outrageous. But what strikes me about some of the other stories we've heard from, you know, Shamari and Gerald and all the stories, you know, these are very mundane activities. The idea that you're driving and you get out to, to, you know, get some gas and suddenly, you know, there's Mm -hmm. a gun on you. You're trying to move out of your apartment. You're trying to grab something out of your car. And suddenly there are guns on you. Uh, That should... It's not the, the, the crazy people die every day uh, stories that, you know, make the, the, the media. It's because those are just a, a microcosm of all the other stuff. You're looking at the tip of the iceberg. And that's why protests uh, and riots break out is because, you know, everyone in that community is experiencing this stuff. And whenever you see someone finally, you know, uh, paid the ultimate price for it, it why wouldn't that enrage you? That's mm-hmm. it's absolutely outrageous, of course. Uh, meanwhile, cops are, you know, some people might be asking, you know, why are we focusing on only when cops mess up instead of how they generally get it right? Well, I find that just kind of ironic from the standpoint that uh, much like when a cop pulls you over for speeding, he's not going to bring up all the times you obeyed the speed limit. Like, of course, we're going to point out the times whenever you're screwing up the most because that's the stuff that needs policing, that's the stuff that's out of bounds so naturally we want to call attention to that Uh, I don't really care if a cop is doing his job right you know 90% of the time it we need to get that to 100% of the time Um, and maybe policing just isn't for everybody like uh, I think one of the things if you know I'm gonna run through a a bunch of reform ideas you can agree disagree I don't really care Uh, I think the overarching problem is we need fewer encounters in general with the police I I find it funny that everyone's talking about defund the police, not because I disagree, but because the libertarian in me is like, yeah, I know all kinds of other ways that we we could run (laughs) the police department. Like, this is awesome. I've never thought society (laughs) would come to this. Anybody (laughs) want to ask me my opinion? Yeah. And so I love that idea. I love that there's, you know, thought going into how can we make fewer interactions with police? Because apparently most city budgets go to the police which is ironic because I mm-hmm. feel like most of what the police does is raise revenue. That's mostly what they're doing. Yes, They're out the there point. just trying to raise money and fines and tickets. I've never had a, a my car break in where the cop was there catching the guy. <laughs> like I've never you know. heard of anybody, you know, having too many difficult problems that need to police and the police were there already. Uh, I feel like everything that they do is more geared towards being modern day tax collectors. And so fewer Certainly fewer uh, interactions with police will would also mean that we need fewer laws on the books, and I'll get to that in one second, but I think the first thing, and there's already some movement in the the, the house, uh, to remove qualified immunity, uh, cops should have no special privileges no. Uh, uh, without yes. an arrest warrant or probable cause or immediate uh, imminent danger, and... To me, and this goes back to my my political philosophy, my worldview is that there is no difference between a cop and you. They're not special. It's not like they uh, put on a badge and suddenly they're they're you know not human anymore. They're they're still just people. They're capable of mistakes, and it it kind of confounds me whenever I see so many conservatives sticking up for cops or whoever, and and yet you're supposed to be the people of small government of less government is better, uh, and yet you have no problem with uh, the government being capable of taking your life. Uh, uh, if you're someone who believes in like the militia and the Second Amendment, um, who do you think you're going to be using the, that? Against? Exactly. Thank you. Oh, my God. Thank like, you. Like that's those are the people you're, you're going to be fighting. Yeah, they're not. It's
1: not going to look like they're sending tanks down your street. It's no. like your your local PD is going to come in, like, and yeah. take your rights away. Yes, they're exactly. regulate.
0: Um, we also need for reform, like independent reviews of all fatal incidents from a cop. Um, maybe it needs to be in a separate county or maybe a separate state. I don't really know the the framework that makes the most sense, but I I think that's obvious. You can't have a district attorney who is beholden to his own department, um, Mm -hmm. you know, making those calls. Uh, That just shouldn't be the case. Uh, Obviously, we need more de-escalation training and uh, laws against violent tactics for nonviolent charges. George Floyd was accused of using a counterfeit $20 bill, and that's a reason to break out your gun or to put them on the ground and treat them violently no that's assault in any other place in america if someone one private citizen does that to another private citizen that we just call that assault you know that's a reason to be thrown in jail and i don't think cops deserve to have any special treatment in that regard and i know i'll be on the the fringe on that uh, but i just don't see any special case uh, i'm there with you you know it it, there you're just people you're just other people
1: and because if if you the i totally agree and if you give them the the assumed immunity there then they're they're more likely to do something that could be overarching Uh, above their yeah exactly whereas if they know i am beholden to the same exact laws and punishments as anybody else who might be carrying a firearm then they're going to act differently they might you know, not draw their firearm when they don't need to. And you have, you have dissenters on the other side that would say, yes, but if they, if they're not ready to draw their firearm, they could lose their life. And the only thing I can say to that is that I hope that that would never, I hope that doesn't happen, but they, they know what they're putting their They know what they're walking into.
0: Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. You signed up for this. Don't be surprised up that it. there's potential exactly. danger. Like uh, we that's the reason why you're supposed to be respected is because you signed up for
1: danger. Uh, so. I would rather I would rather pay police a, a larger salary and give them less money in riot gear and, you know, like yeah. firearms stuff. And like seriously, like, OK, so let's get this straight. It is a dangerous job to be a police officer. I 100 percent get that and I respect it. So why don't we pay you? Accordingly. Right. I mean, I'm all for, you know, a police officer who makes fifty five thousand dollars a year. Give them 80 instead. Instead of like giving the entire department two million dollars in like all of this riot gear bullshit, like that they shouldn't be using against their citizens anyway. You know, in that case, then maybe it's more worth it for me to be a police officer. Right. Because of the salary. And I'm assuming that they would want more money anyway. Yeah. So. Well, and if they're going to be carrying a gun anyway, what is the what is the point in overarming them? Absolutely, no. the The fact that you have so much power
0: definitely means that you should be held uh, to to higher accountability. Like, yeah. you you wouldn't expect, you know, uh, a private citizen who owns a gun who breaks it out and uses it to not have some level of accountability on on their actions, and uh, that's all a police is is another human being with a gun. Um, mm-hmm. Good point, and so. Yeah, uh, I this starts deviating slightly but I think it adds up to a bigger picture I th- I don't think cops should be allowed to lie to citizens I don't understand why that's okay I don't understand why you can sit in an interview with a cop where you're being accused of something and they get to lie and say yeah your buddy's already ratted you out or yeah we have evidence we got your fingerprints on the, on the gun or whatever it is like I don't think cops should be allowed to lie to you the only exception would yeah. be undercover uh, and you should be you know sworn in to you know with some judge's permission it should be that hard but in a second i'll think you'll begin to realize that we probably don't even need undercover cops uh, in all likelihood and i'll get to that in a second but cops should also tell us what our rights are this is one of the most frustrating things about police and legal encounters is uh we shouldn't need to be lawyers to understand and exercise our rights there are too many laws to be reasonably expected to know them all anytime you get pulled over you don't really have a clear understanding of what you can and cannot you know uh disagree with you you, and cops go in knowing that they know that they have this power over you of the confusion that you're in right now and they do everything they can to wield it like a baseball bat Uh, and it's really unfortunate so we need to demystify what's happening in all interactions this is why i pulled you over here's what i would like to do etc here's Mm -hmm. here's what your rights are you can refuse this whatever Um, and so the mystery or unclear interactions with authority it creates tension Whereas predictability eases tension for everyone. If you know exactly what's going to happen when you get pulled over, uh, that will ease your mind a little bit. And it should ease the cop's mind a little bit uh, for everyone to be on the same page about exactly how this interaction is going to go. Uh, and right now, that's just not the case. You you very rarely, uh, like Shamari uh, said that. He didn't know why he got pulled over, you know, him and his friends. Like, they never got a clear answer. He assumed it was probably because uh, they were out of school. But, again, it was pretty close to lunchtime, so it wouldn't be unusual to have kids out there. Uh, and they held him for an hour and a half. That seems uh, aggressive uh, in a number of ways. The DA has too much power. Like, the district attorney, uh, they just have way too much power. And if you go read The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander, she goes into some really great insights about that whole process process it's outrageous if you read that you will be floored at the amount of power the da has uh and for one thing i there's too much overcharging right the cops whenever they want to get you for one thing they'll trump up four other you know slightly different but similar things and sometimes they'll fabricate things Mm -hmm. just to get leverage against you uh so i think overcharging like that should be severely discouraged. There should be some, some punitive action, uh, whenever. And for that, we probably need, you know, some kind of, again, independent, you know, review. Uh, but that just seems like a really bad abuse of power in order to get convictions and to keep people out of court, uh, as the clip we played, you know, if everyone actually went to court, the system would absolutely break. And I think, you know, another, big reform is we need to end the federal war on drugs and probably the dea we just need fewer law enforcement reasons to to suspect and go on someone uh, and by that token hopefully that also means that the states will begin Decriminalizing and legalizing all these things,
1: uh, and, and why is that a good thing? Can you clarify just in a in a minute?
0: Yeah, I would say for one, uh, what someone does with their own body is their business. I don't think that mm-hmm. anyone should be uh, forced to do you know what they don't want to do. Whether that's yes, and I do mean all the drugs like meth, heroin, whatever, because for one, it just creates a black market that creates less safety for people in general. Uh, you're going to see more overdosing. You're going to see uh, uh, more you know. Dirty needles and uh, infections, and so on on a health reason, uh, there's a lot of you know negative outcomes. But then on top of that, there's also a lot of violence in black markets. If you think back to Prohibition, right, Al Capone and Lucky Luciano, there was so much violence that as soon as Prohibition ended, it all went away. And so if you're mm-hmm. concerned mm-hmm. about violence and uh, all the all the aggression that surrounds that, the blood count, uh, then you should be in favor of legalizing drugs and allowing people to make their own choice. And in that way, you can also get them help. People you know, who get yeah. hooked on drugs are now no longer afraid to go out and get help because it's not going to land them in legal trouble.
1: Um, and so and can you f- imagine what it's what uh, can you imagine the amount of money? uh by taxing that the that the government could make by taxing meth by taxing cocaine by taxing uh crack or whatever it is and you uh, you as a consumer could have legal recourse if something is not You know, like, yeah, like it's bad product and you get and you get sick or, or, you know, a family member dies, you can have legal recourse. So you're not just going to have the mom and pops going into something like this. This is like something where like only if you're sure this, this stuff is pure, you're going to sell it because you could get, you could get sued. Easily.
0: a hundred percent, and so just that alone would ease a lot of our prison population, and we could start phasing mm-hmm. them out. Uh, anyone who's nonviolent would should get expunged mm-hmm. and, and released, uh, and so just so many, so many, and it removes a lot of the facade, a lot of the pretense for why a lot of people in black communities are pulled over and engaging with law enforcement in the first place. Uh, they use that, you know, pretty often as an excuse uh, for interacting in the first place, and so yeah. uh, it would help ease a lot of the. Inter- interactions, needless interactions. Um, And yeah, it's cheaper. I mean, there's so much money that's spent on that war that you can't win. This isn't a war that could ever actually be won. Um, And there's just so much more damage uh, coming out because Mm -hmm. of it. So I could literally do, we could literally sit here for an hour and discuss the war on drugs and all the ways it's been a failure. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would never have to reference a single note. (laughs) Like it's, 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 it's atrocious. Um, And so we also should probably look at reducing and removing laws that are victimless crimes stuff like prostitution drugs gambling etc there's just so many reasons that you know are created i had a Mm -hmm. buddy um uh, who i grew up with who died in a in a no-knock raid like we need to end no-knock warrants because they raided a house that he believed uh was hosting a drug dealer and the guy was confused he didn't know what was going on and so he hears someone break into his house he opens up fire my buddy gets hit uh and he ends up dying you know Uh, and it's Mm. heartbreaking because he was a good dude i would absolutely stand in front of anybody and say this was a good person he wasn't uh like this power hungry guy uh he was just a really good heart and he had i believe totally in my heart he had all the right intentions of trying to protect my community and trying to do something healthy for everybody but ultimately it it was just not the right thing to do it was the wrong call uh and uh, and it breaks my heart it cost him his life and I you know I'm heartbroken for uh, his family and his cousins I know his entire family and it's absolutely uh painful that that stuff happens and there's other kinds of those incidents that happened there was uh, i want to say in new mexico maybe arizona uh, where there was a no knock raid they went to the wrong house a baby got blinded by a flashbang like this stuff happens all the time for no reason for what
1: because you don't want someone getting high whatever anyway and this might sound like listen you know you and i we've talked about this kind of stuff for years um so i'm you know you're saying this and i'm not like Like, whoa, this is the first time I've ever heard this. (laughs) So this might be like the first time someone has ever, and there's drama going on outside my door, whatever, might be hearing this. This might be the first time and it might be like, whoa, that's, that can't be right. But keep in mind this quote unquote war against drugs. And if you watch 13th, you'll see where it started, you know, Uh, and what it was before and what it was like before, what the prison system was like before it. And then what it was like after. And... You really just sit down and logically. If you sit down logically, ask yourself like like what is the purpose of this? Is it really because, is is, is weed illegal because it's it's bad for me? Am, is my government the one that's supposed to decide what is bad for me? Because my government puts a lot of shit in my food allows a lot of not only allows but but tells the company the food companies manufacturers to put a lot of stuff in my food that i don't have any say over so they're dictating what is good for me and what is not good for me and so for all my conservative friends out there really sit down and think is this something that you believe in or that that or do you really think that that you should be more free and this is a good example of that and yes (laughs) yes people will over, overdose on on drugs of course they do now but they do in a much t- more terrible way alone in a gutter instead of maybe in their house next to you know like another loved one who's doing the same thing point is is that they chose to do it and they and and they were free enough to do it and they weren't going to you know get go to jail for making a decision to put something in their own body sorry sodomy is still illegal in like so many states like you're gonna regulate my bedroom really because you don't think that that why because that's not what god wants like how do you know that like it's just ridiculous it's a whole nother rabbit hole it's absurd you know yeah yeah you can finish
0: yeah and so that the to Todd's point like 13 makes a really great, you know, case of why the drug war was started in the first place, how it's been used. And again, I'm going to keep going back to Michelle Alexander's uh, the New Jim Crow. There's a passage in there that just sticks with me. The drug use is very equal across races. It's not like black people do more drugs than white people. That's not what's happening. But because of the propaganda, because of the the, the images in the in the media Everyone, whenever you start to, there was this test that they did where they were curious to say, what does a drug dealer look like? And everyone described the black man. Mm. Whereas you're very unlikely if you're white and you live in a white community to go get your drugs from someone in a completely different community. You're going to get the drugs from people within your own community. Mm-hmm. That's just how that works. Yeah. And so yeah. It's, it's preposterous that, you know, there's more, uh, minority drug dealers than white drug dealers. Uh, it's, it's equal, it's just disproportionately targeted. Um, mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. I think if we end the war on drugs, we start to end one of the tactics used to to disrupt and uh, break the the black community. Because once you go to prison, as you know, thirteenth you know illuminates, uh, it starts to affect your ability to get work and find meaningful employment, uh, and it just ruins your life. It's 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 not okay. Um, and so, police are you know modern day tax collectors and home monitors. They shouldn't be worrying about you know drugs and whatever else. To to some degree, even whether or not you're driving too fast. Uh, their focus should really be on violent crimes, right? Assault, theft, uh, that and assisting emergencies, that should be where their focus is really at. And uh, we can help make that you know, a focus by reducing uh, the amount of laws that they're supposed to be enforcing. For instance, Eric Garner sold loose cigarettes and was killed for it. He was selling loose cigarettes and that's the reason uh, to, to you know, break them up and, and choke them out. Like that's absurd. You know, and like I said Mm -hmm. a minute ago, prohibition just doesn't work. That was the reason why it didn't in the first place. It's just not effective. And so, yeah, there's other things. I don't know, like maybe we should end police unions. I'm not a very big union person in general, but they seem... particularly difficult uh, and make it very very hard in order to police the police uh, who watches the watchman and probably along those lines you know we should end asset forfeiture and seizure it seems like just this unconstitutional way to to take people's private belongings and if you're poor if you don't have money and they take your car or they take you know they seize some of your assets then you have no way to fight the system in the first place like uh Browder, you know being unable to pay uh, his his fine would have been so much more impacted if you know the the situations i've seen stories of someone losing you know they they had cash for whatever reason uh and the police seized it you know 20 grand and i think they were like on their way to make a, a deposit you know from the store that kind of thing and they just lost their ability to not not only keep their business going, but uh, to, to fight the, the charges that were leveled against them in the first place. But yeah, in general, I we just need more police transparency and general oversight. Uh, I'm not a big regulation guy, but when it comes to the government, I'm definitely in favor of more regulations on the government, which is what's what the... The constitution, the constitution is supposed to be, by the way. If you didn't know, uh, you're right. You never, you never actually made an oath to the, uh, to the Constitution. It's not supposed to be rules and regulations for citizens. It's rules and regulations for politicians and anybody who works for the government. That's why they pledge an oath to the Constitution. You mm-hmm. and I never have. It's supposed to be a limitation and restrictions on their powers. Uh, and they're supposed to be beholden to it, not you and I. That's definitely not how it is now. Not how it is right now, no. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, those Um, are some ideas. I don't know. There's probably a thousand better ideas on how to reform and make the the system better. But I uh, think those are a few good ones. There's a few in there that might be everyone could, you know, chew on and and, and think about. Um, But we've been going for a while. I don't know if you have any final thoughts before we get into recommendations for the week.
1: Yeah, I just have one one final thought. Um, One comment and then a final thought. When when we when I went to that first protest here in Austin and we took over I thirty five, and I saw that violence against the um, the protesters from the cops on the horses and trampling people and like th- shooting tear gas on my wife and like or mace or whatever, it was um, it was disheartening. But then the the worst thing was when I get home and I see all the comments from family and from who, who I thought were friends saying get out of the fucking street. And I it like, it was, it, it, it broke my heart. Can I ask yeah. you something? My impression,
0: uh, was that the police are the ones who stopped traffic on I-35 because of the protest. Yeah. Is that, is yeah. that accurate? So yeah. it wasn't like y'all went up no. and said, Hey, we're going to, we're going to clog up traffic in order to, you know, no.
1: it was them. No, they, they stopped it moving South and then, and then we stopped it moving north. Because they stopped it moving south. Yeah. Because I guess because people were because there's not there was not a whole lot of space between where the the police station is and the right. kind of like the start of the of I-35. So there's so many people. We were sitting up against the 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 wall of mm-hmm. I-35. So they shut down it moving south. And then when they shut that down, we were like, fine. So they took over I-35 on the other side moving north. Um but that's not even the point. Right. Definitely. We could have taken over the whole damn freeway. And it would, you know what I paid my tax dollars pay for that freeway. And I understand that people need to get to work and blah, blah, blah. And, and I, I get all of that stuff. Martin Luther King in Selma marched on the freeway. He took it over with thousands of others. Right. And what happened? He got the shit beat out of him. Right. But now you sit back and you look at history and what do you, th- what do you think? You think, oh, he was right. And yet today and, – and let me point out, like there were just as many white people as black people that were at that protest, right? And I get berated by people who I would expect to be, I don't know, like-minded maybe because they're either, you know, my friends that I've trained with or that I've known for years or my family. And I would – it was – it was like completely eye opening that, man, I have way too many friends that that was, that was what opened my eyes. I was like, Nope, you're gone. You're gone. You're gone. And I had a lot of people say, well, you don't want to shut those people out because they can't have a civil discourse and blah, blah, blah. Those are people that are never going to see my side. Those are people that are never going to, going to say, Oh yeah, I I agree with black lives matter. I agree with defund the militia. That is the police. I, I, you know, they're not going to sit and think that. So that hurt, that hurt my heart. The last thing I'll say is the, the stories that you told from your friends are heartbreaking. Um, and in a few cases you mentioned that someone called the cops. So I don't want to, I don't want to sit here and say that the cops are the problem because you've got a ton of good cops. In fact, I'm going to go out on a limb and say there are more good cops than bad cops. I'm just going to say it. How do I know? I don't even know. I know a few cops myself and I think that they are good, good people, but you have people calling them saying someone's breaking into this apartment. What are they going to do? Of course, they're going to come and assume someone's breaking into an apartment so were they, were they too, were they too physical? A hundred percent. Absolutely. There is fault there, but there's also fault in the person that called in the first damn place. And that person is me and you, that person is not that I have, but the person is my family. That person is my friends. And until we have that conversation that that is us, you know, then that's, never going to change because cops job is to respond to a phone call saying someone's breaking the law. So, I mean, look again, we are two white guys talking about black problems, which is probably hilarious to all of our black, black friends that are listening right now. But you know, that's what we got to do, man. We got to talk about our whiteness. You know, we got to talk about the, 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 this kind of thing because if we stop talking about it, then it stops becoming an issue and, and I don't want that to happen. I want that to keep going. I want this movement to keep going and, and I want some, to see some change. I want somebody elected to office that has some balls and I hope that it's a woman with no balls, you know, I, or transsexual. I don't even care. It doesn't matter. Point is someone who's not afraid to lose their seat because they tried something, tried to change something, right? And their constituents didn't like it. You know, you got to do what is not popular to make some kind of change or else nothing will change. And then what good are you as a politician? You're no good. The only reason you're elected is to change shit. That's it. You're not there to maintain the thing that's that's been the status quo for 100 years or even for five. You know, optimize. Change. It's 2020. Why are we still handling shit like we did in 1969? You know, with horses and riot gear. Ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Find another way. Grow a pair and be a good politician. Do something. Okay, I'm done. So no, I love oh. it.
0: And I would say as my final parting thought, I guess there is common ground. Let's say you don't believe that black people are disproportionately targeted. Let's say that that's, that's what you believe. And you're just not going to come around. You're going to find your own statistics that tell whatever story you want to tell. And fine, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. But I still think you can get behind the general concept that's being discussed here without ever having to fully sympathize with Black Lives Matter. Uh, there is common ground that we are both... We should find a universal truth, a a principle to that doesn't require you to, to, you know, somehow agree with something that you just in your heart cannot bring yourself to to, to agree with. Uh, And that's, you know, the use of violence. It shouldn't be this common. It shouldn't be that easy for a cop to engage in a violent act and not be held accountable. That's all we're really talking about at the end of the day is the only way to discourage police from exercising violence is to prosecute them. And it's to make it easier for them to be prosecuted. Uh, and and in that way, I think we're all in accordance. I mean, there's plenty of stories of white people, you know, that have been assaulted and hurt by police. Uh, totally. You know, I, there's this heartbreaking story of uh, like a, a major or a general's son, uh, some high-ranking military uh Soldier, that uh, officer, that his son was pulled over and killed by police, uh, and they were never held accountable. He was white, and so yeah, to some degree, it it, it is everybody. And if you can't get behind the idea that. Cops should be held accountable uh, just as much or more than the average citizen. uh, Then, you know, maybe you should chew on that and think about it and figure out why you believe that, Uh, because maybe it has Mm -hmm. little to do with anything that's a principle and has more to do with just uh, these some kind of fallacy, some long held belief that uh, you, you might want to reconsider and feel challenged on. And uh, the, I think the mark of a, a, a brilliant mind isn't its ability to, to make a case or to uh, to make a point. It's the ability to change your mind on something that was once, you know, a, a dear held position. So, yeah, well said, man. Thanks, man.
1: Sorry, we got on soapbox here, mm. um, but you knew we would, yeah. you know, <laughs> it just had to, had to happen. So we'll wrap this up. Sorry, everybody, but uh, but not sorry. Yeah. Nice. What uh, yeah. What are you going to recommend this week? Um, You know, there's so much that you could recommend uh, having, you know, uh, anything to do with Avid Verne or anything to do with, you know, anything like 13th. But I'm going to recommend just because it kind of raises this question of did he didn't need, does it matter, does it not matter, the system, etc. I'm going to recommend Serial from this American life, uh, the case, uh, on Adnan Syed, um, it was an incredible podcast that just had the world really engulfed in, in a podcast it was like super famous all around the world. A podcast was, and I'm, I'm not talking about the Joe Rogan podcast. Um, it was, it's really amazing, really well written, really well produ- produced and, and, um, yeah, it, it, fantastic. And, you know, it leaves you, you know, just your opinion on, on it did he do it did he not does it matter is really a huge huge factor in why it's so good um uh, so yeah that that's what i recommend Serial,
0: nicely done yeah. um i'm actually going to recommend three things for the first time ever uh, oh my gosh one for each occasion uh if you're looking for a new book to read then uh, by now this won't be a secret i'm going to recommend the new jim crow by michelle alexander it's an absolutely incredible read for the amount of information it's also an easy read and so it's it's engaging. It's incredibly thoughtful. Uh, you don't have to agree with everything in there. If you disagree with, you know, 10%, there's still 90% of stuff that's going to blow your mind. Um, and there's like a few nitpicky things that I'm like, eh, I don't know about that, but that's okay. That's the whole point is the idea that you don't have to agree hundred percent with everybody on everything, but she's, forgotten more than I'll ever learn. So uh, go read the new Jim Crow. Um, Also, if you want to dive more into Ava DuVernay, uh, she has a show on Netflix called When They See Us. It's about the Central Park Five. If you've not seen that. They touch on it on 13th. Yeah, it's Man, it's absolutely heartrending. Uh, you won't be able to make it through that uh, in one sitting. That's it's something that you wish you could binge, but your heart just cannot take uh, the amount of yeah. injustice that happens in there. Um, yeah. And then, lastly, if you need a new podcast, I'll recommend Sixteen Shots. Uh, it's about Laquan McDonald um, and his sixteen. 16- shots by the police that killed him and took his life uh it's uh it's uh, again heartrending um and informative and it's an honest look uh insight into uh, a, a wildly messed up situation so well we'll link all those in the in the show notes and yeah, yeah. so stay tuned next week crap. Forgot to pick it, but I'm going to say uh, we're going to do A Few Good Men. We're going to go back to yes! rewatchable 90s movies. Uh, Aaron Sorkin. It. Yeah, uh, one of his finest works. Uh, so stay tuned for next week when we do A Few Good Men. Uh, and don't forget to subscribe, review us on iTunes, leave us a note. Especially on this episode, if you want clarification, if maybe we misspoke or didn't really make a point clear, You know, feel free to do that. I'll also link uh, the the soundbite from Shamari and Gerald's story as he wrote it without all my flavoring added on top of it i mm-hmm. um, sorry Gerald I couldn't do that more justice and uh, <laughs> if you want to talk about anything else on this episode you know please do so you can do all of that at the slash 13th one three th
1: and uh, the quote of the day that we'll leave you with is so good you do you, again you kill me with these quotes uh, it's from Malcolm X be peaceful be courteous obey the law respect everyone but if someone puts his hand on you send him to the cemetery uh, I mean, yeah, I, I, that I, if you don't have the right to
0: protect yourself in America in yeah. this fucking world, <laughs> what's the yeah. point of anything? This is the thing that I, I'm, I will never be able to wrap my head around is if the idea, a cop unjustly puts his hands on me and I cannot defend myself. I, I, I promise it's a good thing I've never had an encounter, a bad encounter with a police officer because I may not be here. I, I may not be here. And I don't say that as someone who thinks, uh, you know, I'm just Billy Badass. I'm, I'm a toothpick, but I physically don't like being touched by people. I don't want touching me. I react very viscerally and strongly to that stuff. And I just don't know that I would do
1: a good job of containing myself uh and yeah it, it would be but the th- yeah and it, the onus is on you to prove that the cop has done something wrong right like that's that's the problem we're talking about here you know it's yep. always their word against yours and they will always believe their word you know yep uh and i to to all my black friends out there that is a quote uh for you specifically right like, this is, you know, in these protests, be peaceful, be courteous, obey the law, respect everyone. I lo- absolutely. But, I mean, <laughs> sometimes violence, man. Sometimes violence. I mean, even, ML- even MLK said it. Sometimes no. violence is necessary, and I'm not calling anybody to do violence against anyone, but I am saying that yeah. that and we're not for change to happen, sometimes. absolutely, yeah, and no the one's
0: cheering it on, no one's saying yay, but everyone is understanding why. And as an as America has a really hard problem trying to understand why without feeling like they're condoning something. It, they're yeah. not the same thing.
1: Right. You can understand. Thank you for pointing that out. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, and and Malcolm, you know, as much as people like to deride Malcolm X, I find it hard to believe that we would have had progress without him. We needed that M L K. We needed a Malcolm
1: X. Mm Mhm. Yeah. Maybe the next person will be somewhere in the middle. Who knows? Yeah not sure uh this has been really amazing um conversation and i'm sure that the comments are probably going to blow up and um and that's that's fine i hope that they do and i hope that this uh incites some conversations uh, some hard conversations with uh with our listeners so thank you guys for joining us through the the whole thing we appreciate it and and i want i want to thank all your friends for sharing their stories and even the ones that that weren't able to i know that they have those stories and um um i love them for them and i hope that things get better so Thanks. but until until next time everybody love each other be nice be courteous obey the law respect everyone and uh, uh i'm todd i'm wes go watch the movies